welcome to the fifth season of The Candid Frame. We have a new look and a new theme song, but we're still committed to making this program the best interview show about photography and leading a creative life that's out there. So to start off this new year, I'm pleased to introduce you to Penny De Los Santos, an award-winning travel and food culture photographer who brings her own personal touch to the work she delivers to publications such as National Geographic, Savoir, and Texas Monthly Magazines, just to name a few. She provides me a great conversation to begin the new year. Well, Penny, we were just about to talk about the creative live um, session that you did, and it had a lot of impact on a lot of people, but I think in reading your blog, it, it had a big impact on you. Why don't you tell us about what that meant for you? Because you already had a... what by any comparison, be a, a successful career, but it seems that, that that experience created a lot of changes for you, both personally and professionally. Right. Yeah. That um, I, I never could have anticipated just how much it would change me. You know, I really, I went there with uh, this idea that, you know, if I'm going to do this, I really want to be completely honest and authentic about um, the struggles I had as a photographer, and I think in doing that, you kind of open yourself up in a in a way that possibly you know cleans out the cobwebs, and you put yourself in a vulnerable place. And it, I, I didn't expect people to respond in the way that they did. I, I never anticipated that, and there was something in all that emotion for people experiencing that. What they gave me that just shifted something inside of me and I realized at that point in my career you know I thought I was on the right path I'm doing everything I need to be doing and everything's great I'm always trying to challenge myself but then I realized you know I'm sitting here trying to tell people to just leap go for it you know there's no reason why you shouldn't be trying to do what you absolutely want to do there's just there just isn't there should be some small steps you're making and and I just thought to myself what is it what is it for me, you know? And and in my mind, I thought in a couple of years, I'll probably end up in New York. So I just decided, you know what? I don't want to wait two years. I think I just need to go now. Um, and for what I do, I, I, you know, I was having to come to New York already a lot to, to show work and to meet potential clients. And, and it's just such a creative place. There's so much here. And so, you know, there's there's just a heartbeat and a life the city has all to itself. And as a photographer, it's a highly visual place. So it just, it just was like, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) It it wasn't even, it wasn't even a question. It was more like, why haven't I, what are you waiting for? Let's go. Well, what's interesting about your story is that, you know, you went and you got, you know, you went to college, you got your degrees and you started off in New York but eventually you yeah. left, and, it, and for a time there, it seems like you weren't really sure whether or not you really wanted to delve into photography. So tell us about that that journey, because it seems like it's not like you're going to New York for the first time, but you're going there under much different terms. Can you can you give us some insight into what happened the first time and, and what sure. was involved in your, your questions about whether or not you really wanted to do photography? Sure, sure. I I started, you know, I got an undergraduate degree in journalism and like a lot of 
people who leave photography programs or journalism programs, you know, you, you, you want to immediately start making pictures and immediately start supporting yourself. And that's really hard. And so one of the things that you do is you start assisting photographers. And so that's what I did. I started in Dallas, Texas, assisting photographers and had a really steady uh, group of photographers that I worked for regularly. And one of them was going to move their studio to New York. And then in the last month decided they weren't going to. And I was going to move with them. You know, I was, I was going to, I was like their full-time assistant and I was going to assume that same role, but in New York. And then in that photographer's decision to not move, I just thought, you know, I'm I'm still going to go. Mm. So I, I came to New York and I started assisting and, and it was hard. You know, it's a tough, there's a ton of photographers here and it's, it's a hard place to break into in general, but it's, I think it's a hard community to break into too for, with photographers. Um, you got to prove yourself and there's about a hundred other people that are just like you and how are you different and what are you doing differently and what can you bring to them that others can't and it's super competitive and that, that's one thing in photography that's, that's always going to be there. So I started assisting photographers here and you know it was hand to mouth I was barely making it I had I lived in the East Village I shared a tiny apartment with two other people and it was month by month you know and and I was working mostly with commercial photographers and I didn't particularly enjoy that aspect you know a lot of them were it was highly art directed by an ad agency and I just it wasn't as fulfilling as I you know thought the creative process process could be. So I just kind of got disillusioned and I didn't really feel like it was what I wanted to do. And at that point in my career, I hadn't thought about, you know, documentary photography or any other type of photography really. Um, so I left New York. I actually managed to save some money and I traveled in Latin America, which is, you know, if you have a little bit of money, that goes a long way. Um, it goes a long way there. So I was able to, to squeak out about six months and I traveled in Guatemala and um, Costa Rica and kind of mostly through Central America. And I just, I, I knew I didn't want to go back to New York, but more importantly, I knew I didn't want to, I didn't want to do commercial photography. Um, it just, it wasn't the right thing for me. So I kind of felt like, well, what is the next thing? And then I moved, I ended up finishing my travels and then I moved back to Houston I moved to Houston for the first time and I was trying to find a job and I was looking through the paper and I saw this tiny ad for a little community newspaper that needed a photographer. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, you know, maybe, maybe this is just something I can consider temporary. I really didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea. I was really at an impasse with what I wanted to do with my life. I was probably 25 so I applied for this job I, and I had art pictures, you know, I had these, I had a beautiful portfolio of amazing art images and this, you know, this um, editor looked at me and he was like, I can't, I can't hire you with these kind of photographs. <laughs> Do you have anything that's journalistic at all? And um, I said, you know, I, I shot for the school newspaper in college at the university I went to and I, I, I might be able to uh, find some of those photographs. And so I actually told him I'd get back with him and so I actually went to the college the university I went to and I went to the microfilm and I found images that I'd made in the school newspaper and I made Xerox copies of those images and that I think I found like 12 images and I took those back to this guy and 
he hired me. <laughs> Which I think it's funny. I got hired on Xerox copies, but that was my first journalism job in journalism. Yeah. And and it was I think my first assignment was to go photograph a construction site. It was horrible. I was so it was amazing. I loved it. I loved it. It was the worst possible assignment in the world. That's like a nightmare. That's just you know middle of the day. It's pretty awful, but um. I remember feeling so happy and 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 realizing that that there was so much joy in just finding these moments and you know really contemplating a scene and I felt more creative in that space than you know in the other kind of more controlled commercial environment yeah how how much of it was the fact that when you first got out of college and you went to New York that it was that you were following a path that you felt you were supposed to follow as opposed to something that was really true to, to you. You may not have known it at the time, but I think in retrospect, that's, that's kind of what happened with you. But how much do you think it was about, you know, expectations that weren't really defined by you, but, but by other people? I think that was part of it. You know, when you're not really sure, but you think it's what you want to do, you kind of, you you know, I, I would do these informal interviews with people and buy them coffee and just kind of ask them, well, how did they get into it? And and so, you know, you got to assist. And so I just started doing that. You know, I, I it, it's basically you're, you're learning by example. So I just kind of followed what other people were doing to try to get to that place to, to be a, a paid photographer. And I had never thought about journalism at all so I think in large part yeah it was kind of like well this is the path to getting to that place so this is what you got to do so yeah yeah one of the things that strikes me about your work I mean I think when people initially look at your work they think oh she's a food and a travel photographer but your work is so much more than that and you really speak about the um, exploration of culture and I think that's really a, a, a big deal for you and your work. And it really comes across because there's a, there's a certain level of, of joy that I see uh, when you're talking about your work or when I see your work or when I see these videos that you've, you've been doing. And it, it seems to go well outside of what people sort of traditionally think of that sort of genre of photography. Where was that, that born from? Was it, I know you, you were born in Europe and you were your family was a military family and traveled around. Was that sort of developed as a result of having to live that kind of life or, or was it something else? I think it was, too, I think it was definitely part of that. You know, I'm, I'm Mexican American. I was born in Germany. Um, I, I think it's partly, you know, uh, you know, my last name is very Latin, you know, Latino. So, you know, kind of always feeling very different and adapting to all these different places I've always been in, um, but also acknowledging that I'm different. So having some understanding and some compassion and some empathy for people who are different, are places that are different than, you know, my experience, people that are different than, you know, who I am. So I think it, it, it's a combination of changing where I lived constantly or not constantly, but, you know, several times in my childhood. And then also, you know, always, you know, every two years I'd get a new crop of friends because I grew up on a military base. So, you know, people were always getting transferred and, you know, dads and moms were getting transferred to different bases. So I was always, there was an influx of people in my life um, and they were always from different parts of the world. 
So it just made me a lot more accepting and tolerant for people's differences. Yeah. I don't know if tolerance is the right word, but just accepting, you know, and, and understanding that we're all very different. And, and so I think it gave me an appreciation for that. And it also, it, it's, it, to me, it was normal. And so I seek that out. It's, it's, it is where I feel kind of most comfortable and at home when I'm in that place where, gosh, I'm not, I don't know anybody here. I'm in a town I've never been in before in a culture that I don't speak the language and I couldn't feel more alive, you know? Mm-hmm. And, the, and then the other part is I, I got my big break with National Geographic and I always mention them because they trained me the first 10 years of my career. And, and that magazine, I mean, their whole uh, mission is about, you know, disseminating geographical knowledge, National Geographic. It is about educating people about geography and cultures. And and so whenever I was sent on an assignment, I always had to give a sense of place in a photograph. And I always had to, you know, put people in that place. If you can't make a picture that shows people where you're at, and not just any picture, you have to make a really great picture that shows people where you're at, then you're never going to get sent anywhere. It's like the most important photograph. And so you really have to tune into a lot of different ideas when you start to think about making that picture. And I think the 10 years I spent with them just, you know, drilling that into my head and learning that repeatedly over and over and over and talking with editors and having editors look at my pictures over and over and over from these different places telling me, you know, stop covering, stop covering the event, stop covering the city, stop covering the town, stop covering this person and start just being there and seeing it and feeling it. And it doesn't, it took me years to understand what that meant. How do you go from getting a job from showing Xeroxes to, (laughs) (laughs) to getting to the point where you're able to collaborate and learn from people at National Geographic? I think I put a lot of the other parts of my life on hold to really focus on my photography. And I think anybody who does this and and really, really wants to do it at a certain level would probably admit that too. You know, I, I don't think I dated anybody seriously until I was 27. You know, I think my first serious relationship was 28, you know, 27, 28, 29, somewhere in that. But, I went to a really great graduate program and I, I felt like I was influenced by some really strong editors. I think, I think having, you know, finding a really good person uh, to look at your photographs, someone who can articulate why a picture works, why it doesn't work, what you're not thinking about, what you are thinking about when you're making photographs, finding an editor who can speak to the way you're seeing is so important. And, and, and there are, aren't a lot of people out there who can do that. Yeah. I mean, that's what's, um, there aren't, there are just, there are not a lot of great picture editors out there. And when you find them, you latch onto them. And I, I feel like the program I went to had some of the strongest picture editors and they just really built foundational skills and practices. They taught that to us that I just, you know, I used it and I, I just worked really hard day in and day out. Yeah. I kind of, yeah, I just didn't stop until I felt like I got it right, you know? Yeah. What what role did your family play in this? Because I, I can imagine that, you know, the, you're coming from a generation who, if you tell them that you want to be a photographer, they look at you go, you want to take pictures of babies and weddings? 
And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's sort of the generation where yeah. I, I come from. So what did they make of the fact that you wanted to make, make a life behind the camera and, and do the sort of things that may have been sort of unfamiliar to them and, and others of their generation? I'm not sure they completely understand what I do still. I know they know I'm a photographer, but I don't think they understood. And when I told them I was going to go to graduate school, they, you know, of course that was highly encouraged. Any education is, is, is good, but I don't know that they thought, you know, that would have been a recommended field. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I grew up in a, you know, a family that was highly encouraging, like anything you want to do, whatever it is you want to do, you have to be happy and whatever that is. And my parents were so great and that they never made me feel pressured in finding a career that made a lot of money or, or was, it was always about doing something that made me happy. You know, I probably should have thought about <laughs> would I get paid well as a photographer? Um, <laughs> and would, will the economy change and how will the internet change my career? <laughs> and, but no, I, I feel like my family has always been really supportive. Do they understand exactly what I do? I don't think so at all. I'm not even sure they read my blog. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I, I just, you know, they're, my parents, you know, grew up in a really small town on the border of Mexico and Texas. So it's just a different, I think their daughter, who I am, is very different than, you know, anybody that they've known. But, you know, they have adore me and love me and accept me just as much as I do them. So. Yeah. I suspect in looking at some of your images that you you photograph food, but you also photograph the social dynamic that revolves around food, whether it's, you know, when it's being cooked, but especially when it's about around being eaten. Talk about how growing up gave you sort of a sensitivity to that that really has ended up informing your your photographs. Oh, that's interesting. I you know, I grew up with a mom who pretty much chased me out of the kitchen. I think the last thing she wanted me to do was to learn to cook. <laughs> you know, I, I think she wanted me to go beyond her and my dad. And so, you know, I don't think she ever discouraged me. But, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult where I would call her and be, you know, say, hey, how do you make that one dish you used to make? I think, you know, for me when I first started making photographs and specifically when I did my, what I would call my foundational kind of training at the geographic, almost all of my pictures when I would enter people's lives would start in the kitchen, you know, whether I was on in any community and the first place people invite you into their home is into the kitchen. Would you like something to eat, something to drink? And so it really felt like, you know, the center or the heart of anybody's home. And so when this, jump into shooting food happened it was just it just felt like I'd already been shooting it you know for for years because most of my assignments kind of started there it's it is the one place where I think people are the least threatened you know for in terms of politics and religion and ethnicity and it doesn't matter when you all sit at the same table or people are cooking that just kind of goes away and it really becomes about you know what they're making or what they're serving or what you're about to eat and it's this moment of connection and people I think people really become unguarded and forget you know they always forget that I'm there and it's Mm -hmm. that's the moment where I really feel like pictures start to happen I don't know that anything from my childhood really contributed to that other than 
growing up in a family that just took time to always eat together if when we could and you know but we were a very typical family in the sense that you know we didn't have every meal together um but there was always one meal a week that we would have together and those were it was it, it, there was so there was maybe this joy in sitting together and kind of having this really great meal. Mm. Um, I grew up with definitely an appreciation for food, for sure. I had a mom that was an adventurous eater and, you know, loved to try food from different countries and, you know, uh, (laughs) fond memories of just, you know, getting big, so part of my childhood was in Texas and that's what I consider Texas home. So, you know, drinking big red and, you know, all those things that are very cultural to where you grow up, you know? Yeah. One of the challenges that you face is access. And you talk a lot about being sort of a, a good person. And I think part of that is is about being honest with people in terms of who you are, what you're trying to do. It's a certain level of openness and sincerity that provides you the opportunity for you to go out there and make your, your photographs. And one of the more interesting projects that you worked on was that prison in Mexico, Tell me about the challenges in making those images and what you learned in terms of those qualities, in terms of you being able to make images that are both honest and sort of speak to what you're hoping to do with a camera. One of the hardest times I had when I started to do photography was finding people who I felt like operated from a sincere and authentic place and beating my head against the wall just by how maybe shallow or materialistic or catty or competitive photographers can be with each other. And when you're trying to get into a field, it's not very attractive. And so I kind of always promised myself that I was not going to operate on that level. And and then, you know, how how are those types of people getting access to real stories. How are you able to be honest enough with your subject if, you know, you're behaving like that with your peers? So I've always tried to be the same person in the field and, you know, when I'm in my professional and my private life. So it's very important for me to always be sincere and thankful and grateful and, you know, as honest as I can and authentic as I can. Um, I just think that that is about being a good human. And, you know, I, I really feel like we start to identify and find and reveal those moments in life when we are that way with ourselves. You know, how can we see those real moments in another person's life when we're not really able to go there in our own? So I, I just feel like that that is the foundation for, for really showing people the world mm-hmm. and transporting people visually to someone's house or kitchen or, you know, where they gather to connect with their family. If, if I can't be humble and accepting and sincere and kind to the person on the other side of the camera, you know. It's, uh, it's so important to me, and I think it shouldn't change. It shouldn't change when you're around your peers. It doesn't matter if they got the job that you really wanted, you know. I think that photography is so humbling because (laughs) you may think you just had the most amazing shoot of your life, but tomorrow's a new day. And, you know, it's, it's every, I think photographers are horribly hard on themselves and we beat ourselves up. And a lot of our behavior stems from just feeling really insecure. And so I just, I don't want to be that way. Mm -hmm. I don't. 
I, I want to leave people with something good because that's what I want. (laughs) I want that experience. So it's just like, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to start to do that. You can't be that. You can't, there's no way you can make pictures that are revealing and telling and sincere and meaningful if you, if you can't deliver that yourself. Mm -hmm. So I just think that's foundational in living. You know, I think photography, I've said this so many times, but I think photography is just a metaphor for life. It is. Yeah. It's such a metaphor for life. You know, we're always trying to find moments where, you know, the photographs we make are, are who we are. You know, it, it truly is. I mean, we, we bring our experiences, our background, our emotions, our relationships. We bring all that to the camera. And that's what we look for in our scenes. It, it is. It makes it's like perfect human behavior, <laughs> and so you know, f- photographs. Looking at a photographer's photographs is is so telling to me about, you know, are they going through a breakup? What's you know, if I'm editing someone's pictures, I can tell when they're just not present, and they're just kind of you know, they're just showing up, but they're not really engaged. Mm-hmm. And what's what's that about? What's real? What's going on? You know, I mean. It's photographers in themselves are just such interesting characters. <laughs> but how did that sort of inform what you end up doing with that portfolio of images oh, in, yeah. the, in the in the cell blocks? I really wanted to do that story. I'd heard about. I'd read an article in in this small newspaper on the, on the, of that border town about uh, the warden who um, there was there was a uh, one uh, one of the inmates. It was a woman. She was murdered, and. I think in the story it talked about how she had a daughter and the daughter was allowed to be with her in prison. And I was like, what? Oh my God, that's a story. And I remember thinking, how can I get in there? I need to get access. And it took a couple of years before I had the opportunity to actually go there and do it. You know, being in that space, being in that prison, everybody wanted to talk to me. Everybody wanted to tell me why they shouldn't have been in there and how they were wrongly accused. Everybody wanted me to transport a letter outside to their family member or if I could, could they use my phone or if I could please call their family for them. And it was just heartbreaking, you know, especially a lot of the women in there who take the fall for their uh, boyfriends or husbands, you know, it's it's um it's kind of startling, and I think anybody who covers or photographs any any form of human suffering, it's it's hard not to feel to take on those um, emotions, and you know, it, it does make you a lot more sensitive, and you you listen to people a lot more. And I actually brought a, an assistant with me on that assignment specifically to talk to people because the first time I went, I, I, I just, I, it was distracting me from work. You know, I wanted, I needed to photograph, but I couldn't, you know, talk to them and make pictures. And I knew that was going to be an issue. So I brought an assistant who specifically was basically blocking people from me, but in a, in a very good way in the sense that she was just engaging with them and, you know, talking to them and saying that, you know, she was working with me and basically just, if anything, that experience just reinforced, you know, how I've always felt about any any situation I walk into as a photographer, whether it's a prison cell or someone's kitchen, I mm. or a chef's restaurant. I just, it's you know, it's their house. This is their life. Um, they are the most important person on the other side of the camera. Doesn't matter if they're behind a cell, a cell block or a stove. You know, it's there's a, a lot of respect that comes from me for anybody who is willing to let me, you know, spend time with them and, 
and photograph their life. Yeah. I think that that story and, and, and another one that you shot more recently, the one of the Babacoa ladies, both speak to the the idea of persistence in getting access. Because in both of those, you face some challenges in, in terms of getting people to agree to allowing you to come in and make photographs and tell their tell their story. And I think it's prob- probably one of the sides that people don't really consider when they see pictures of the like that you that, that you make, that it's not just an open door just because you're working with a magazine and have a camera on you. Speak to the the idea of having to sort of, you know, work the story in that respect even before you've made your first exposure. This uh, one particular subject was not comfortable with us being there. And we actually, this was a woman who was in East L.A., East, East, East L.A., um, and she was undocumented. And she ran, it's actually a wonderful story, she had a small... Uh, barbacoa, which is this um, tradition, this style in which you cook the meat underground, you know, you dig a pit and then you make a big fire and the fire burns down to coals and you um, you put a big pot of, um, of broth that's got garbanzo beans and onions and garlic and and you put that on the hot coals and then on top of that big pot you put a grate and then on top of that grate you put your lamb this entire lamb and then and then you cover this hole with they cover it with wood and then blankets and then carpets and then rocks and that meat and that consume consume the the broth cooks um and it's when for about 8 hours and then when it comes up when they pull it up from the pit, it's it's just the most tender and um, aromatic and savory morsel of meat you'll ever put in your mouth. It's incredible, and so that's what this woman was making. It's a it's a it's a very laborious style of cooking, and it comes from Mexico. And the way in which she makes it comes from a region, a geographical region in Mexico, one of the northern regions, and. She, she would make lamb, which is, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up ever eating lamb barbacoa. So it's specific to this one area in Mexico and that's where she was from. And so she was living in East, East, East LA. And on Sunday she would get up at like four in the morning and go out to this ranch where they uh, had lambs and you could hand, you know, basically point out the lamb that you wanted and they would harvest the lamb right there pretty much. They'd, and she would drive it back to her house and in her truck, and she'd build that fire. And by seven o'clock in the morning, she would have the meat in the ground and covered. And by three or four, she had a line of people, you know, at her house ready to eat. And so she had like this. She was undocumented, and the restaurant in which she ran, which is out, which was out of the carport of her, you know, house, was you know, wasn't legal. It wasn't a licensed uh, place to eat at at all. So she had a lot on the line and she wasn't comfortable with us photographing her and certainly not being interviewed. Um, So it took us about three days before, you know, calling her and meeting with her and really just trying to gain her trust. And um I've had this happen so many times to me. And so it, it took about three days. And finally, um, you know, she agreed to it. I, I'm there to celebrate her. You know, I'm, I'm, these pictures are purely out of 
revealing the life of this single mom who is doing everything she can to feed her family. And and this is how she does it. She feeds other people, you know, out of the carport of her house and she makes handmade tortillas and homemade salsa and I mean it's amazing food and she works so hard um and and helping her realize that the way that she does this is is so beautiful and so special and and getting her to agree to to allow a national magazine to photograph it was it was one of the most challenging experiences I've ever had. And, mm. but I wouldn't have tried so hard if I didn't believe it. It was just so special. I mean, you know, you, people don't cook like that anymore because it's just too expensive. You know, yeah. it's, and when you're feeding a lot, a high volume of people, you can't, you know, you don't have the manpower or the time. So, but she, that was the only way she knew how to cook. And so that's how she did it. And it was just so special. But we basically got access by just spending time with her and helping her realize that our intentions were completely sincere and that we weren't there to expose her in a, in a bad way at all. Uh, but in fact, the opposite, you know. And, yeah. and I realized at the end of that assignment that, you know, she'd never had her picture made professionally ever. And I don't think anybody had ever really spent time with her, just kind of watching and documenting and archiving this process that she has. So I think it really made her feel valued in a way that she had never felt. And it was really a powerful moment for me because, I, you know, you, I forget that sometimes. I forget how the camera can really leave a person feeling, you know. It can really, it can, it's a, it can be an amazing gift for her. People And I forget that. And I travel all over the world. And, and I forget that, you know, putting a camera in someone's face can is very powerful. Yeah. And, and how does that leave them, you know? How, how many times do we think about that? I don't think about that a lot. And so she just really reminded me of that. And I thought it was so lovely that you went back well after you, the assignment had, um, had been completed and gotten published. And you went back to her and revisited her and actually shared that on your on your blog, speak about that because it's not a common experience where you get to go back to your, to your subject to, to share the work that you produce. What did that mean to you? Yeah, it wasn't, you know, I, I never get to go back. It's very rare that I get to go back to a subject because a lot of them are, it's impossible to get to. It's, you know, when am I going to be in, you know, on the Isle of Kea in Greece again? I don't know. Um, so, you know, I had the chance to, I was in, it, she, she's, she's just in East LA. So I'm in LA every, every so often. So I wanted to go back and I wanted her to see the article and she hadn't seen it. And she was so touched. It, it kind of surprised me how touched she was to see her picture. It meant so much to me beyond that, because she was still doing well, you know, there were no negative effects for her at all because the article was published and, and it was, you know, I think it's so important if you can to just in some way, and I don't always have control of this, but to get, you know, the some form of a published article to people if they if they are in the article. It's so important. And, you know, we, we created a, a friendship. I mean, that day we spent together, which was, you know, from like 4 a.m. in the morning until 8 p.m. at night, was just incredible. And yeah, I'll never forget it. It, it really was a, a defining moment for me, and it's one that I've talked about a couple times publicly. So, you know, to be able to bring in the magazine and show her the pictures and, and to just kind of reconnect with her again and was it's just really special. You know, it, that, it just felt like I was being human, you mm -hmm. know. 
you recently took on the the tw- Twitter idea, um, dream big and leap, and you spoke earlier about right. the uh, idea that the thing you did at Seattle with Creative Live was really sort of a pivotal moment for you, and it's led to you moving from from Texas back to New York. What did that change mean to you? Because I think a lot of people would look at your life and career and go at she's she's doing it she's got she's working she's doing what she loves you know what's there to want but you know obviously there was there was something more that you were hoping for what what was that and why was it so important to to move to to new york city earlier this summer 2011 i had a food assignment i had a a, a studio shoot in austin and I struggled with feeling creatively inspired and without saying too much because I love Austin. It's a wonderful city. You know, it's just, I couldn't find the right combination of people to work with for that project. And it was really telling for me in that moment when I think it's important as a photographer to practice as much as you can, you know, to feed yourself uh, visually and to push yourself. And one of the ways in which I do that in particular when I'm shooting food is I, you know, I, I like to test. And so, you know, I should be able to find people that, that I feel like would bring inspiration and uh, ambition to the table. And we can go into this collaborative mode and really push ourselves to create some interesting images. Um, And I just never found the right combination of people. And I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, it's just, it was a struggle for me. And I, and, and that's really what, what did it? I had, I had that experience, and then I had a conversation with someone who, highly respected in the industry, who looked at me and said, "Why are you still there?" <laughs> she said, "If you're really going to do this, and you want to put your name in serious contention for these big projects, you need to be in one of two locations." And I just finally heard it. I've had people, I've had editors tell me that before, and I just, you know, we all wake up at different times. And it was just like, why not, you know, I should, I just, you know, I had a house, I had a life, I had a relationship, I had, I had, I was locked in, but I, I realized I wasn't completely fulfilled. And so, you know, at, at any point in any part of your life, wherever it is, you know, I think there's always place to grow. Um, and, and that was kind of what I realized. It was like, Yeah. You, it's time for you to to do this, to take it on and go for it, you know. And, and for me, it kind of felt like I was moving forward big time, but I was also, you know, I was I'm reestablishing myself here. So I felt like, you know, I was tightening my belt strap, going lean and mean, you know. I I got rid of so much stuff. I moved to the city with not a lot, you know, and that was on purpose because I was rebuilding something here. So. Um, you know, dream big and leap just felt like, you know, you shouldn't ever stop that process in your life at any point. And yeah, you're right. I guess most people, some people could look at my, my career and go, oh man, she's already doing it. And, you know, I, I think we all are the, we're, we're the toughest critics of ourselves and only we can, you know, understand who we are and how we're doing and where we are and, and for me, I just wanted, I wanted to surround myself with people that I felt like could push me in a way that I wasn't getting pushed. 
Um, and and I also, it's so important to me to have uh, creative stimulation. And I just feel like New York is one of the most, for that in the world, I think it's an incredible city. Yeah. Well, the last question I always ask is that I ask my guests to recommend another photographer that uh, they our listeners can discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Gosh, I have a lot of photographers that I love. And, you know, for me, I think it's one thing to be a great photographer. And there's a lot of great photographers out there. I mean, they are, there are some wonderful storytellers and people who capture life in a way that is just so honest and pure and real. And it's inspiring. But for me... You know, it's it's beyond the camera for me. I want to see great pictures, but I also, I also want there to be some integrity and heart. I want to know that behind the camera there's a person who has is authentic and real and sincere and, you know, really, really does believe in the other person on the camera, not just themselves, you know. So, yeah, I would say in a heartbeat, my mentor. And if she knew that I called her my mentor, she'd be really upset. But her name is Lynn Johnson. And she actually, this month in January, she has um, a story in the Geographic. Um, I would recommend Lynn in a heartbeat. She's a wonderful storyteller, a very passionate visual thinker and an incredible teacher. But beyond that, she is a beautiful human. And she would be... I think she would be an incredible inspiration to anybody who wants to grow as a photographer, which I think grow, means to grow as a person. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Before we wrap up here, I know you have a couple of things going on, including um, some workshops. So where can people find out more about your work and the different things that you're doing? Uh, yeah, my I have a website, my name, PennyDeLosantos.com, and then my blog, which I actively contribute to, um, is kind of like the hub for anything going on with me. I haven't posted my new workshops for 2012, but I'm about to, and yeah, there's gonna. I have a huge thing coming up in February. I can't say too much, but I will. I will announce it on Twitter. But it's it's the biggest honor of my life. So stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to follow you on Twitter, what's your uh, what's your tag? My and it's my name, Penny De Los Santos. It only has one S because you know they limit you on the number of characters for your name and Twitter. So it's P E N N Y D E L O S A N T O S. Right. Well, thank you, Penny. It was a real joy to have a chance to talk with you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm super excited and honored that you invited me. The Candid Frame is supported by donations by people just like you. You can contribute to the show by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com where you'll find other resources about our guests as well as articles and links we think you'll find valuable. The show is edited by Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.